Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor's Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, happy to be kicking off a brand new episode. And today we have a special guest on the podcast. We're going to talk to Mendy Hood, who, like so many of us who listen to Survivor Sanctuary, is a survivor of sexual abuse within the church. And Mendy and another person who was abused in the same church has bravely come forward and is actually in the midst of a U.S. District Court lawsuit in Alabama. And there are quite a few defendants listed in the lawsuit as Mendy and another person work very hard to try and get justice for the things that happened to them when they were younger. Now, our conversation with Mendy begins... As she describes an incident with the youth pastor of her church, the man who ended up being turned in for abusing multiple girls, and Mindy explains when she first had an abusive encounter with Jimmy Vesey, the youth pastor of Mount Hebron West Baptist Church, which later became Crossroads Community Church, and we'll learn more about that. They were an SBC church, a Southern Baptist Fellowship or Southern Baptist Convention church for many years. So Mindy explains this interaction with her youth leader on a trip where she was first sexually abused by this youth pastor. And as you'll see weaved throughout Mindy's story, all of the eyes that kind of looked the other way and allowed this to happen. It's a story so many of us are familiar with, but let's join Mindy as she explains that encounter. I was between the ages of 13 and 15. I was in the youth group. I'm a very pale person, so what made me think I could lay out in the sun for eight hours is beyond me, but I did, and I got sun poison where your bikini line is, like right where your vagina almost is, and... Jane Barrett, the church female chaperone, was, you know, putting some medicine there because it was it was bad blister. And he walked in the double doors because they were like swinging like a restaurant double doors into the girls' bathroom. And he said, uh, you go take care of the other kids. I'll handle this. In that same trip, he walked in in our girls' dorm 
in a white t-shirt, like an undershirt, boxers on, and his fly, his penis sticking out. His name is Jimmy L. Beasy. L stands for Lynn. He was individual. Um, he was a pastor at Mount Hebron West Baptist Church, otherwise known as Crossroads Community Church, because they changed their name. Then you've got the Southern Baptist Fellowship that we're suing, the SBC. Stephen King, who I don't know, but apparently he was a pastor, and Nikki told him what Jimmy had done. Because Jimmy had been there for like 30-something years. Um, so you've got Stephen King, who was a former pastor at Mount Hebron. And then you've got Terry Mullins, chairman of the deacons at Community Crossroads. And you get, were suing the Southern Baptist Fellowship, the State Board of Missions of Alabama, and the Baptist State Convention and the Elmore Baptist Association. Yeah. So there are a lot of players in, not just in the lawsuit, but in the history of abuse in the church. And as we'll find out a little bit later on in your story, and as we've already heard with, like, it still baffles my mind that a person, a woman, would walk away from a young girl in such a vulnerable situation when a man says, oh, you go away, I'll handle the bikini area of this youth group child. It's crazy to me. So we see a lot of players in your story, people who looked the other way, people who were told this man was sexually abusive and who did nothing. And you mentioned Nikki, and I just want to say, like, we're not telling Nikki's story today because that's hers to tell, but she is uh, one of the plaintiffs in this same lawsuit. So when you hear Nikki mentioned, that is who Mindy is referring to. It is her co-plaintiff in this case. So, Mindy, I want to ask, you've told us about that first encounter where you were sexually abused by this youth pastor. What was your life like leading up to this event? Uh, were you a regular at church? Had you grown up in this church? Did you know these people very well? Give us a little bit of that background. Yeah, I grew up in that church. I was baptized in that church. I was married in that church. My father was a deacon. We sang in the church choir. We were very active in the youth. My uh, mom ran the nursery Um Every Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, every trip, everything. From, I think I probably was like six years old when we started going up until I, gradu um, I graduated high school. I quit going because I figured out that the dude was a pervert. So at the time when the abuse began and this trip, was Jimmy a youth pastor? Was that why he was chaperoning this trip? Okay. In the beginning, he was a youth pastor. Then he went okay. to minister of music. Then he went into associate pastor. And then he was the pastor. But he's not currently involved in this church any longer, right? No, we ran him out of town. Good for you. Good for you. I like to hear that. So, Mandy, I believe you said you were around 13 years old uh, when you were abused by this pastor who at the time was a youth pastor. 
And Mendy, you've got a pretty interesting kind of twist to your story. And we're just going to be blunt. That's what I love about you. You're very blunt. You just say it like it is. And you kind of have a piece of the past that kind of came back and has helped with your story now and you coming forward. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, I want to say I was 13 because I lost my virginity when I was 15. And I had told the person all this is about to get intertwined, so it's about to get real interesting. I told the person that I lost my virginity to about what happened to me, and he told me that we were going to Florida, and he's like, you're not going by yourself. I'll go with you, sort of thing. So he's known about this. Right. Fast forward 40-something years later, guess who the lead investigator is? No way. Yep. The plot thickens. Um, do they consider that a conflict of interest at all? That kind of makes me curious. I don't really think they care because my ex-husband is a musician. And he's pretty well-known singer-songwriter. The uh, DA, her name is Mandy Johnson. I've only seen her once. Um, and that was when we went to grand jury. Apparently, she and my ex-husband are friends and they write together. Now get this, Mandy's husband um, is in the police department. I don't know what he does. He's a deacon at the church that Jimmy was at before he left and left town. Okay, it kind of almost feels like you're describing the plot of a movie almost. So there are a lot of moving parts in this lawsuit and in the experiences that you suffered at the hands of Jimmy and that another friend of yours suffered as well. Kind of crazy how everything is sort of intertwined now. But I want to go back, if we can, to that day, the day with the sunburn, Uh, the day that inexplicably a woman who was in leadership in the church left you alone in a room with a male youth pastor, um, letting him put cream on your bikini line blisters. I just like that blows my mind that she would just be like, okay, nothing wrong with this, nothing to see here. I'm just going to move along. But I'm curious after the abuse occurred, did you feel like you could speak up? Did you feel safe to do that? Or like so many kids who are sexually abused, did you feel that you needed to hold that in? Um, I was very confused because I didn't know if what happened to me really happened. Like, was I sexually abused? Like, I, you know, you kind of had that left brain, right brain thing going on. Like, did this really happen to me? And I was already pinpointed as a crazy person in the youth group anyway. So when I finally told I was 15 years old, I told uh, this, she's a teacher, but also babysat her children. And I told her what happened. And she called my dad and told my dad. So then my dad, I'm military brat. My dad then called Jimmy up to the church to have a three-way conversation about it. And from what I have always lived my life knowing is that Jimmy lied about it. He lied to my dad and he got away with it. But apparently that's not what happened. Apparently he confessed to it. It never happened again. So you were led to believe for years that he 
had denied that this ever happened. It's her word against mine. I didn't do it. When in reality, he confessed to what he had done to you and admitted to it and said, you know, it would never happen again or whatever. Is that right? Uh, yes, but they also uh, told my father he couldn't be a deacon anymore. Like he was demoted severely in the church. So not only did the sexual abuser youth pastor person get to keep his job and not get in trouble, your dad got demoted. He actually got punished for coming forward about what had happened to you. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. That is insane. That is insane. And honestly, like, I I think a lot of us survivors have the same, I don't want to say the same story, but when it comes to telling, you know, I waited 30 years to tell my story because you don't, your brain doesn't understand how to process it. I didn't even know what I experienced was abuse for a little while after it happened. Like, you know, it took a while for it to sink in like, oh, this is not something that should be happening between an adult and a small child. And like the fact that you told someone at that young of an age and that soon after the abuse is actually, it's uncommon. A lot of people wait uh, many years longer. I have a big mouth. I have been telling people since I was 15 years old, I'm 44. So, I mean, that they, they that nothing like that scares me. Not you. I mean, you can't scare. What are they going to do to me? You know? And I think for a lot of kids, we're just so confused. It took me a while to even know that what had happened to me was abuse. And I mean, I didn't identify it as abuse, but it took a while for me to just know that what happened to me was even a bad thing. And when I finally realized it, then of course the shame sets in and then that's working against you. So a lot of kids are just like, they're tied up, they're tongue tied, they can't tell anybody. And you, for whatever reason, didn't experience that to the extent that some people do. And so you decided you were going to speak up. And I think that that is where the story just is even more tragic because you did open your mouth. You were one of the few who was actually like, I'm going to say something about what happened. And it makes it even more tragic that they responded the way that they did and essentially just covered everything up. They hid it. So they didn't announce to the church that any of this had happened. They no. just kind of brushed it under the carpet. Yeah, they said I was crazy. I was possessed by a demon. And that's when I went into my first mental hospital at 16. Wow. So you come forward the story and their story is that you're demon possessed. I was possessed by a demon. I'll never forget it. And then because of all this, you actually did have to spend time in a mental health facility, right? Yeah, I was there for like three weeks. When you look back on that time, the three weeks that you were in a mental health facility uh, because of a breakdown that you had, do you view it as a direct result of the abuse that happened to you? Was that what you were struggling with? I don't really know because I don't know how to decompartmentalize what happened. Um, I know that... A lot of my psychological issues, most survivors are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And of course, you know, that's me. And unfortunately, like a lot of times they choose those of us who, who, and I don't like to say that like there's, there's nothing wrong with us that makes us get chosen for sexual abuse. I don't believe that. Um, We're all whole good people, but I think that abusers capitalize sometimes on the children that they think are going to be easier, 
like no one's going to believe them, you know, either the children that are super quiet and shy and don't want to speak up or the kids that maybe have some problems at home. And, you know, you hear it over and over again, like, oh, this person's a liar. Or like you said, they're crazy. They're possessed by a demon. Anything they can say to not have to admit that their, their youth pastor sexually abused a girl. And like that to me is, is the tragedy of it. Cause that makes it if you already have things that you're struggling with in your life that, that make you an easier target for abuse, like then you have to deal with the abuse on top of it, which makes it even worse. Right. So, okay. You told when you were 15, they told you you were crazy. They demoted your dad from being a deacon. So what happened after that? Like at what point did you decide that you wanted to take legal action in this situation? After the first hospital stay, when I'm 15, I've got four more hospital stays under my belt. I've seen every psychiatrist in the Tri-County area. No one listens. No one listens. About 12 years ago, um, I was working as a nurse, and I was looking at a CT scan on a computer. I had one doctor on my left side and one doctor on my right side. And um, the phone was right there, and I, they said, you mean do long distance? And usually if they say long distance, it's a personal call. And um, right. this, I, I picked up, and I'm like, hey, this is Mindy, thinking it was like my daughter's school. And this girl named Christy, who I cannot stand, butts her nose and everything that is not related to her. She said, Mindy, I just need to ask you, did Jimmy molest you? I, those were her exact words. I said, um, I can't talk about this right now. I said, I'll try to call you back when I got home. Well, I never did. I heard from Nikki. And that's when Nikki told me her story. And our whole thing there was, if he leaves the church for good, we will not come forward. And then... Which he did not do. No, he wound up... At another church, he was harassing Nikki, and then we went to the cops. This was two, about almost going on two years. We had grand jury in December of 2019, I think. They were pretty much coerced and did not file any charges or anything, doing anything about it. They said, and now you got to also keep in mind, there's other victims out there that they have found. And I don't know who they are. So it's you and one other victim. Yes. You say that there are other victims they found, but you don't know the identities of these people. So do you know who found these victims or who they came forward to, to know that they're, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say he probably has a ton of victims, but I mean, like as far as what you are able to actually know. There's two investigators one is the ex-boyfriend who I lost my virginity to. The, my parents are going to love this, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. And then the second one, he is the one that found the rest of them. So at this point, where is the lawsuit at? We got a phone call two weeks after grand jury. They said that they weren't going to take the case. Everybody was shocked, and then we went to hire my attorneys, John and Lee, and they're not getting paid to do this. I mean, they'll take a cut if we get a settlement, but they, I mean, they're working their butts off. We're suing everybody we can possibly find. 
So everything is going to come, everything is going to come out. And I think that's what's important. Like just bringing things to light, you know, and it's really sad. Like, so listening to your story, obviously anyone being sexually abused is sad. It's, it's devastating. And, and we know as survivors, like, you know, like the effects of it, you know, the, the mental health things that you have to deal with and the, just the physical and emotional scars and like, yeah. The medication and the medications and and the struggles we have in relationships and like everything that we know that that part is tragic. And so I don't ever want to undermine that when I I say what I'm about to say. Yeah. But I think that it's these the victims who come forward and like how brave were you as a 15 year old child to be like you know what because there's a lot of shame surrounding sexual abuse and there are really good reasons why people don't speak up and that are completely understandable so you're brave enough to say hey this guy did this to me and i know it's not okay and somebody needs to do something about it and the tragic thing at that point to me is of course the people who failed to report this to police because this wasn't like a a situation like we have with like i don't know if you follow the hillsong story uh, with Brian yeah. Houston and not reporting yeah. his dad for being a pedophile, but like, okay, he can say, well, it was 30 years ago and I just didn't know. They knew that an adult male had sexually abused or was being accused of having sexually abused a minor in his care. And they chose not to take that to the police and they chose to vilify you and your dad and make it about like you being crazy or whatever, instead of like what actually happened. And by doing that, and I want to say like Jane Barrett, especially like, I'm sorry, but you have to know that if you are putting like whatever sunburn ointment on somebody's bikini line and the male pastor comes in and says, I'll take care of this with this 13 year old girl. Like you have to know that's not a situation you walk out of. And then when you come forward, like, I just see like failure to report, failure to report, failure to report. Like they had opportunities to make sure that he didn't abuse anyone else. And they went the completely other route. And so my question Uh, is, how many people did he abuse after that? I don't know. But I will tell you that a couple of years, Nikki, I can tell this part. A couple of years ago, um, Jane Barrett, Nikki had moved to Texas with her family. Her husband was military. Um, Jane Barrett called Nikki and gave Nikki a boohoo. You know, their family's really struggling. They've got three kids in college. Da, da, da. Would you have a problem if he went back to church, like preaching again? And she was like, Nikki said, you've got to be kidding me. No. And then Jane Barrett, they're talking about Jimmy. Yeah. And Jane Barrett quote unquote said, well, it never should have been a brought up to begin with. Okay. To me, that's a special kind of evil. And, And that's why I say abusers are dangerous, but the people who cover up for them and enable them are more dangerous because we know what to expect from an abuser. Like, you know what they're going to do. You know how, how to deal with them because they don't change. Like this person's an abuser. This is how abusers think. We know not to trust him with children. We know not to do this or that. But when you have people like the Jane Barrett's and, and the Terry Mullins or whoever else there was involved in the story, like they're, they're not predators, but they're, actually covering up for predators and making it so they can keep on praying. 
And when I ask the question of, I wonder how many victims, like, I know you don't have a number, but I think that we all know that he didn't stop abusing girls with you and with Nikki because he wasn't stopped. And in fact, not only was he not stopped, but he was protected. He's, they enabled him into, into that behavior. They enabled him. And, and that's the tragedy. That's, that's what gets, you know, sexual abuse is tragic. But what makes it so much more so is that when you don't, when you have the information about someone and you know that they're an abuser and that's like there for the whole world to see um, and you hide it and and you do something, you enable them to keep hurting more children. So how many lives are destroyed as a result? So then not only the lives that the predator would have found on his own, but we're just basically like, let's make it easier for you to hunt down children and destroy their lives. It just drives me nuts. Like to me, that's, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. I wanted to punch her in the face. I've had like suicide attempts, cutting, pulling my hair out. I mean, it has caused some bad issues with me. And I see people, we live in a very small town. I see people at Walmart all the time. Um, This made me extremely agoraphobic. I see people at Walmart that knew what he did. I just can't. I probably need to develop a drinking habit or something. (laughs) Let's... Let's not do that. But no, I mean, it's, it's true. Like I, I didn't like for me and, and I have a, a lot of like empathy for, for you for that situation, because I like, I don't know what that feels like now as a kid. I definitely knew because I ran into my abuser and I ran into people who knew my abuser all the time, but because I was abused 14,000 miles away from where I live now, it's yeah. very easy to avoid having to see people. So I can't even imagine like having to walk into Walmart and see somebody who knows what he did to you or somebody who covered it up or somebody who's being like an apologist for him and saying well he's a man of god and you should have just never said anything because you're probably lying you know that that's a whole other level of like that affects your mental health as well it affects everything it'll mess you up so i don't know if i already asked you this i know that you said that um jimmy vz is not pastoring at that church anymore but do you know if he as far as I can tell, he is not a minister, um, but anymore. But um, I can't, I can't find anything on Google, and I've got Google alerts on his entire family, and I can't find anything. Yeah, I looked up just as doing some research for our interview. I I did look up his name and his wife's name together to see if maybe that came up with something. But um, yeah, I think I think also that when somebody's involved in a lawsuit, they're coached by their teams. Like, don't post anything on Facebook that could be used, you know, in court. So also, he was caught having affairs with women in that church. Wow! Essentially, he's just he's just the definition of a predator. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why people want to believe this, but they always want to believe that like somebody just slipped up. How in the hell do you slip up and stick your, oh, did it trip and fall in there? I tripped over my shoelaces and I was suddenly in bed with my secretary, like a pastor that used to say that. That's not how it happens. You don't fall into sin. You pretty much like dive in head first. You know what you're doing. So what are your, what are your next steps now? Um, as far as like how the lawsuit goes, what are the next steps? Uh, we filed the civil suit in federal court. Um, and 
they have all the same attorney except Jimmy. Jimmy has a different attorney than the rest of them have, um, which is interesting. But since, you know, COVID, you know, basically everything's backlogged. So um, now, right now, they're trying to say stat they have not answered any questions. They are only saying statute of limitations is up, which in the state of Alabama it is, but they're trying to throw that out. Did Alabama have, I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head, but did they have a look back window? Because I know a lot of people are, do are the laws are changing where there's like a window of time that you can go back to to sue when the statute of limitations is up they're usually small I, windows like a year or two years but i don't know and i don't know if nikki had ever been molested on a trip but he took me across state lines that's federal he took me to florida so the statute of limitations does not apply pretty much yeah you know uh, we may, we may not be able to get him criminally but we're going to bankrupt the hell out of that church and everybody in it. Well, and the thing, here's the thing like that. And I said this on a re very recent episode of the podcast as well. It is unfortunate that churches are not moved by sexual abuse just because of what it does to children. It is yeah. unfortunate that they don't say, Hey, this, this wonderful little girl, Mindy, like created in the image of God was, you know, sexually abused and, and had her whole life changed because of it and is has struggles because of it. And yeah. this was something that really wounded her. And instead yeah. of saying that, like, it's like they don't care. So you have to do something. The only way we change, in my opinion, sexual abuse within the church is to do something that makes churches care a whole heck of a lot about how they protect kids. And unfortunately, right. suing them really seems to be the only thing if it's not going to be lawsuits it's going to be jail time for people who who cover up sexual abuse there has right. to be a punishment that they care about because the punishment that children go through after being sexually abused does not move the church and that to me is is a tragedy but it's just yeah. reality you know like oh this kid was sexually abused their life is forever altered oh well we just need our church to keep going and we need the money to keep coming in and, and to keep we'll pray. Our lives and for this person this, to just be quiet and go away. Right. They'll, they'll pray for we'll you. Pray for you. We'll, yeah. Yeah. Keep giving us money. We'll pray for you. That's what, that's right. what my family said, got. Right. And nothing is going to change that except lawsuits and criminal charges. Those are the only two things that are going to change it. I mean, I wish that, that God could change it. I wish that like people would be heartbroken and have the compassion that Jesus actually had for people who were hurt and abused. Like, but since churches apparently don't have that, the next best thing is here's, here's a punishment that's going to hurt. It's money or it's um, criminal charges and the possibility yeah. that you're going to go to jail if you cover up child sexual abuse. So I really think that this is why we're getting more churches to kind of stand up and pay attention to sexual abuse, which again, it's sad because it should be enough that it ruins children's lives. Like that should be enough, you know, but it's, yeah, I, so I agree. I think that over the last like 10 years, 10 years, so 10 years plus, but especially in the last 10 years, it's the lawsuits that are starting to change things because churches realize if we don't do something to protect these kids, if we don't like really do something to make sure nobody sexually abuses anyone, we're going to get sued. And then if we cover up sexual abuse, we're going to get sued yeah, and possibly yeah. go to prison. So yeah, that's it. Like that's what they, 
that's what's going to make them care. And I say, go for it because that's the only way we're going to see change. Otherwise you have what happened in your church where Jimmy just was able to just spend the rest of his life, life abusing girls. And he's probably still doing it because predators don't change. You are right there. Unfortunately. I want to ask you one last question about like, what about someone who has gone through abuse within a church and they're not sure what to do? Like, what advice would you give to somebody that maybe finds himself in the situation you found yourself in? The first thing that I would do is tell a parent or I teach somebody they trust. And then I would turn, I would go to the, the uh, police department and make, file a police, a police report. Yeah, I would reach out to advocates that have been there and that can hold their hand through the whole thing. I wish it's right. something that I wish I had. And actually, I mean, this, the sad thing about like, even like telling someone you trust, I think it's important to know that if you've been sexually, like if someone has touched you sexually when you were a minor and they were an adult or when it was against your will, like they've committed a crime. So it's important to tell someone you trust, but like in your case, you told somebody you trusted and then like everybody just broke your trust essentially. Like even the people who tried to do the right thing weren't able to because everyone else kind of decided for them. You have to keep in mind, though, that these people are mandated reporters. So if they don't report abuse, they could go to jail. Exactly. And and like now that we know a little more about that, I feel like when when like you and I were kids, it it was just not common knowledge. And and a lot of people weren't mandatory reporters. Now they are. So if somebody tries to tell you that they can't report, you know, that someone has sexually abused you like they're they're wrong. You know, even if you're not positive that all the legalities or whatever, I think it's always safe to say, go to the police. Like, even if you're not quite sure. When we were walking in to that daggum million dollar building that they built in Elmore County and that I'd had a stroke. So I had a cat. I was walking with a cane at the time. Nikki was behind me because I just literally had a stroke. I, you know, could fall. Then you've got, Troy, who's the ex-boyfriend, you've got the cutest detective I've ever seen in my entire life. And then you've got this little bitty man that looks like Elmer Fudd. And he looked at us and he said, we've, we've known about this for years. We've been waiting for you to come in. I turned around and I had my cane in that little man's face. And I said, you have been knowing about this for 40 fucking years. So no, uh-uh, right. you weren't waiting on us. You knew about it. All y'all knew about it. That actually reminds me of Brian Houston and what he said. Like, oh, well, th- this victim didn't want us to go to the police. So we thought That's we should probably lie. just not go to the police and tell them. Right. It's just self-protection. Oh, we've been waiting for you, Mindy, to come here. And, you know, so that we can protect the children in our church. We've been waiting for you to come forward. No. Like, you don't have to wait. If you know that someone is a predator, you turn them in. You're, if you don't, you go to, if you do not turn as a nurse, if I know that somebody's being abused and I don't turn the mom, the dad, whoever's doing it in, I face jail time. Right, right. The whole thing is screwed up. I mean, there's so much entanglement here. And what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, Like when, when you've got like, so many cobwebs like this person knows this person that knows this person that knew i mean they are judges in elmore county 
who is where I grew up that knew about this 15 years ago. Judges. Wow. That is insane. And it's like, like that happens. And well, I want to say it happens in small towns. It can happen in big places too. It happens in places where everybody's like so tight knit and they just think, oh, instead of like reporting this person, let's all be like keep our comfortable lives and not turn everything upside down and let's just let him keep abusing children so we can be comfortable. It's disgusting. Well, unfortunately for them, I am the one that causes trouble and I will turn things upside down. So, you know, you label me a troublemaker when I'm 15, might as well go ahead and tattoo it on the back of my head because I'm about to cause some trouble. My attorney gets onto me all the time. It's so hard not to say things though when you know the truth. Like, you know the truth and it's that's something people need to think about like you the things that we get upset about or that like church people get upset about and then they're not upset that like you were sexually abused and other people were sexually abused and it was just covered up like how's that how's that okay it's not i i can't physically mentally emotionally comprehend what they've all done like my therapist has a time with me because it's so entangled in my brain that it's like peeling off, peeling an onion. Then you've got this person to deal with. And then you got this person that, that did this. And I mean, it's crazy. It's, it should be a lifetime TV movie. We'll get a hold of a producer. Uh, yeah. I mean, the stuff that, that was done, I think that you can't overstate it. Like that what they did opened the door. Not only did it, did it cause you to not get justice for what happened to you, but it opened the door for so many more people over this man's lifetime to be abused. And right. we're not going to know the number. We're, we're not going to no. know his body count. God knows his no. body count. And it's high. Like he didn't, he didn't stop abusing because he, you know, he got caught and didn't get in trouble. That's not how it works. Like they keep abusing. Well, Mindy, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us and we're You're welcome. in your corner and I'll be following this story. And I know that your courage is probably, I know it's inspired me. So hopefully it has inspired others as well. And we're going to follow your story and, and keep tabs on what's going on. And we appreciate you talking to us today. Well, thank you. If you need anything else, let me know. That was Mendy Hood, and thanks again for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, before I bring this episode to a close, I want to let you know that you can share your story by visiting our Facebook group. You can find us by searching for Survivor Sanctuary Podcast on Facebook. Request to join. You'll be asked to answer a member question, and when you answer that question correctly, I will let you into the group. You can share your story there. You can hear other people's stories. You can just encourage one another. Uh, lean on people for support. So join us in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group today. I'll catch you next time on Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.